Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the View from the Nest podcast where we talk through all things index co-op from the last week. I'm Dark Forest Capital and as ever I'm joined by my good friend AG and we're going to jump straight into it this week and I'm going to ask you AG how is the world treating you this week? Yeah you're pretty good I think I'm uh, alternating between hating the fact that I wasn't in Miami while also really glad that I wasn't in Miami. Um, so I'm in that state of, I don't know how to feel about it. And uh, yeah, that that was the mood over, over the last few days for sure. How about you? Yeah, I can totally sympathize with that. Um, there was some crazy footage coming out of that place for the last few days. Uh, certainly Bitcoin people seem to have totally lost the plot. Um, I know that we sent a, uh, a, a small cohort of people over there to to try and snakily talk th- all things DeFi, probably a little bit about um, BTC to XY as well. But yeah, just in general, it looked like a, a crazy couple of days. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Miami. My friends have been there before. I've never been, but it, it does look like a pretty, um, yeah, pretty wild city, should we say. No, I was I was there a very long time ago. And uh, I was just there at, uh, at tennis tournaments in 2005 or something like that. Um, so I definitely didn't do anything anything crazy. But yeah, it looks like you know there was a lot of cool stuff, but also a lot of uh, cringe stuff that was that was coming through on social media, which was you know, yeah, I was like quite shocked. You know, just looking at it, it just doesn't make sense. It's just like sort of blows your mind how the things that certain people are saying, certain things that uh, people do, and, and it was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit over the top in, in some situations. But I don't know, maybe that's like the normal the normal sort of setup, the normal sort of behavior at these types of conferences. I obviously haven't been to one, so I can't really tell if if this is kind of the business as usual. <laughs> I think that's... Uh... That's hilarious. If if that's the normal behavior at these conferences, then that's crazy. Um, some of the stuff that, yeah, I saw that Max Kaiser and Michael Saylor getting on stage, it was like watching Wolf of Wall Street or, or something. They were just, um, yeah, they, like I say, I think they've lost the plot a little bit. It t- it does touch nicely on like the first uh, topic of the week, which was the fact that our B, our B team was there. From what they've said, from the feedback that, that I've heard, they had a great time and it was actually really useful they met a load of um a load of people who shared that basically the index co-op is not flying under the radar anymore which was great to hear uh, and that a lot of like top level influencers or um like crypto ogs have heard about what we're up to have heard about the co-op um they know what we're doing and they're keen to learn more about it get more involved um, and those guys are starting to set up intros, I think, on the on the back of all that. So, despite all the craziness that was going on, it seems like there there has been some useful outcomes, especially for for us in the co-op. Yeah, I think the the social side of it, the networking side of it, is always kind of really important, and probably one of the main reasons people go to these conferences, right? It's speakers are great, and it's great to hear, kind of. People present and, and talk about their thoughts, but it's really all the networking that's going on around the age, edges. And uh, at least, like, it sounds like our guys um, really 
uh, benefited from that, and that's that's part that they really got involved with. Um, so yeah, great to hear. Look forward to kind of what's um, what's going to come out of it over the next uh, month. I know that there is uh, there's an Ethereum conference in uh, Paris that you sent me a link to, actually in middle of July, and uh, I was just thinking that we actually don't have any members of the business development team that are based in Europe. So uh, wonder who's going to be representing the co-op over there. I guess if it comes to it, I can go and drink G&T uh, and comp it back to the index co-op. Like, that's, if, if that's what it comes to, I'm, I'm happy to volunteer for that. Uh, don't you have a holiday... Yeah, but like I say, if it, if it's a case of you know swanning around, meeting all of these important people, having a drink, um, and then listing it all on the index co-op uh, contributor awards to get back, paid back for it, then I'm fine with that. I can I can jump on that flight. Yeah, yeah, we should uh, we should pitch that. Maybe uh, maybe it's time to jump on one of those business development calls that uh, Simon holds and Simon and the team hold on Wednesdays. So. Maybe we should check it out. Yeah, it would be good to understand what those guys actually do um, <laughs> rather than just throwing shade at them. What about you? Are you considering taking a hop over there? Uh, I was thinking about it and like partially I'm just not sure how the whole traveling within the EU is is happening right now with with COVID. I don't know how people are having conferences in in France. Like I, I literally haven't looked up what's going on with COVID anywhere in the world. So I have no clue what the situation is, uh, what the restrictions might be. So yeah, without like having looked at that, it sounds quite unrealistic to me that I'll be able to fly somewhere. Like it's, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of kind of red tape around fly, not red tape, but like procedural steps that you need to take to get into certain places and then some places are more open than others so yeah i kind of thought about it but without like really digging into um some of those covid uh, travel restrictions you can't really know if you in fact can go at all so that's that's kind of where i'm at okay yeah then i I think we best share it in the community and see if we can get anybody to pop their head in jump over there we might have some contributors like uh, we've got julian who's french um so we do have a french community within the co-op so there might be some people who it's local for uh, and we can get some representation especially as we should have hoodies with people by then so we can obviously look cool while we're doing it which is always great um i think while we're on the subject of uh, the bd team i just want to touch on the the second point for this week which was um a post that they put on the forum via m rings and uh and one ski aka david silverman um so th- those guys did a bit of a deep dive basically and came up with a post that said here's what you can do with your dpi which is really useful obviously it's kind of backing up um what, what they've been doing in terms of partnerships like pushing out index co-op collaborations here there and everywhere so to, to kind of summarize now what you can actually do with with dpi um it was useful even for me because i've basically just sat in DPI ETH on Uniswap since launch and um, recently picked up some more DPI that I'm just holding. So 
yeah, the fact that uh, you can lend out DPI individually on Alpha Homora was really good to know. I think the APR has dropped off from about 13, 15% now to around 5 or 6%, but it's still nice to be able to put your DPI to work uh, without having to LP and, and potentially suffering permanent loss. So, yeah, really useful. I think um, obviously we're still sort of waiting for those major collaborations with Aave Maker or, or Compound to, to go through, but for various different reasons, they're all sort of stuck at um, different points in the process there. But uh, yeah, useful post, good to see, and hopefully it's helped people figure out what else they can do with their DPI. Yeah, I was actually, I was just thinking about it, and um, I thought that would have made um, it a good Medium article as well, I think. Um, so I'm not sure why we actually haven't put it out on on media or maybe even Substack, right? I think like forum posts is great for the internal community, but to sort of get the word out externally that there are these different integrations, external extrinsic productivity use cases. Um, I think that that would be good good to do as well. Um, I'm I'm like you. I've sat in that uh, Uniswap pool since October or November and uh, haven't done anything. Uh, it's funny because you're actually suffering impermanent loss on your ETH, not on your DPI in that pool. So I'm not sure you should be worried about like losing your DPI <laughs> in in that ETH pool. But it's uh, certainly great to have um, kind of one-sided options out there. And uh, yeah, I think Alpha in general, they're putting out quite a few assets that you can lend directly where in i think in v1 right it was just eth and now there's the, the whole range of assets including dpi i think uh wifi and like some other um some other tokens as well yeah uh, well i'm in my uh, lp position i'm obviously hoping that both of the assets go up in value but um yeah not too worried either way i don't mind holding either eth or dpi for the next couple of years i think i'm bullish on the flippening of the, the traditional finance system so either way I'll sit around and see what happens um, I think another couple of things that, that was first of all that was a really good point I think we should push this externally um, you know just what are we I haven't even looked recently so I could be well off but last time I looked we had like over 100 million in um, US dollars unincentivized DPI supply so there is a ton of this stuff sitting around not doing anything. People are obviously happy to just buy and hold, but uh, having other productive uses for it, like it's important that people know that that exists. That could definitely get some new unit supply going um, and maybe get people to add to their positions as well, which is something that we've seen in the data that people tend to do once they pick up DPI. So yeah, really good point on that. I think we should be pushing this uh, externally as well. Um, yeah, a, a couple of things that weren't covered or a couple of collaborations that weren't covered in that post were because they're ongoing at the moment um, with Rula and Rari and I think those are the two that the team are focusing on now. The Rari proposal has already had a bit of feedback from the community and the Rula one is there's a there's a poll on the post on the forum now so people are obviously welcome to go and give their feedback on that. It's not so clear to me whether these are like high impact ones to pursue but I think the BD team seem to consider like partnerships in general 
like what we should do, what we should be doing. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go and give my thoughts on that later this evening, actually, because I, I do have some thoughts on the ruler one. Um, so, yeah, that, just to say, really, that these guys don't stop. You know, they're just looking for every opportunity they can to get um, our products out there and, and integrated where possible, which is great. I think there is also a post about the um, potential partnership with Badger for the uh, BTC Fly product, um, basically creating a V3 pool for Badger's interest bear bearing BTC um, paired with uh, BTC 2x Fly and basically seeding that pool with funds from kind of the Badger, DAO, the Budget Treasury, and, and Index. Um, yeah, I'm with you around like the need for some of these integrations, especially when it comes to incentives. It just kind of like looks to me that everything that's coming out on the partnership side requires incentives. Um, and I'm not sure that's like the, that's what, partnerships are about right like it shouldn't be incentives means partnerships there should be something more there so yeah look forward to your thoughts on it and uh yeah let's let's kind of see how that goes i think we do need a little bit more concentrated or like not concentrated but like a bit more directed uh partnership effort maybe focusing on some um, protocols or integrations that would actually move the needle for us versus just marketing um, benefits. And that's where I think like the, the Polygon conversation um, as well as kind of potentially, you know, SushiSwap and QuickSwap across multiple chains. Um, I think that is probably more meaningful. At least that's the way kind of I see it. I, I think that uh, that could be quite beneficial for us. And yeah, with the rest, uh, I'm not quite sold on those. Yeah, let's see how that goes then. Um, okay, if we move swiftly on to another team that just keeps delivering as well, and one of my favorite initiatives that we've got going on at the moment at the co-op, which is the new website. So um, Dev from the Creative and Design Working Group, the CDWG, popped onto the forum with an update for what they've been up to over the course of May. And that included a sneak peek at the new website, which I really, really like. Um, I think it maintains that air of professionalism that we need, uh, but just makes things like a whole lot cleaner, uh, a whole lot nicer to look at. Hopefully with the, the new menus as well, we can keep things a little bit more coherent across all of the links that we've got as well. So yeah, I was just really happy to see this move forward and uh, at, like sort of rise from all of the baseline work that those guys have done with uh, like the, the brand framework and the survey to sort of figure out how the community sees itself, how we see the index co-op uh, in terms of like subjective measures. So they've used all of that info, they've put it to good work, and now I'm just really keen to see this out there and in the wild. Yeah, I think... Uh... There is a bit of that, you know, it's really professional. And I think some people maybe were looking for something a little bit more edgy. And that's sort of what we saw in the brand framework, right? Or like the brand survey where it's like a pretty interesting split 
between people who who kind of saw the co-op as like a very professional organization versus others who saw it as a bit more like rebel like or like transformative um in a way and we we kind of see that right in the in the website design it's uh, kind of very uh, professional very clean um which is great and but it doesn't have any of those edgy elements um so that's it's been really interesting to kind of see how that plays out and uh, i do hope that we'll have some room for or like a, a, a section for uh, content in general on the website i think at the moment we sort of host it um everywhere uh but website um and i think it would be really nice to bring it into this like one uh cohesive kind of experience where people can come to the website and sort of just stay on there for a while uh and and browse and and read um some research and uh look at some data and things like that the term edgy is interesting right so here's one for you did you see what happened with the yearn finance update this week and the the fact that they use like anime waifus to illustrate their their update nah now what happened it was just really really divisive um so if you if you see any yearn updates over the last week or two they they've been adding these like anime girls to the to the update so it'll say like yearn has bought back 43 Wi-Fi tokens at a price of $1.5 million, you know, whatever it might be. But then they've got these images surrounding it of, um, yeah, anime girls. And uh, some people don't like it. And some people think that it's fine. Um, and I just thought it was, it's really an interesting topic. Like we're talking about, for me, that the website that I can see there, our website looks, it's sort of professional, but maintains that element of like, uh, dynamism and, and is fairly like interesting nice and poppy but it's nowhere near like where crypto can go and has been like I, th I think we'll always retain hopefully some like element of fun that's that's what I would like to see within you know DAOs of the future and decentralized organizations uh, the question is where where is that new line drawn and I don't know I'm fine with Yearn Finance because it's like one of those things where it's funny when it's not happening to you and I think they can go and, and do what they like and I'll scroll past it on Twitter and go, oh, that's, you know, that's caught my eye. Okay, I've understood what they're putting out there. But I think if we were to do something that that edgy, uh, probably wouldn't really land well with our community. So, yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have, I think. And obviously we're we're pushing the line a lot further than you know, traditional corporations who have entire departments set up to like battle legal issues because we don't have to do that. You know, we don't have that level of scrutiny and regulation here. But um, yeah, where that line gets drawn, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out over the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the example you brought is definitely not something that we would be okay with. Um, and that's not really what I meant when I was talking about kind of um edginess of the website um i think there's certainly sort of a balance between uh professional and kind of more fun and creative right and 
I, I just think that we've leaned on the professional side. And I think that's one of the things that differentiates us from other uh, uh, competitors that we have in the kind of on-chain asset management space. Um, like we are really professional. We have these methodologies that are kind of not, um, you know, that are based on kind of objective criteria like following basically specific steps uh, and are developed by kind of well-known entities or methodologists in the space. So versus kind of community driven. So I, it, it works with our image. I think I just wanted to kind of highlight that there is, there is a little bit of that. I wouldn't call it tension. It's just like some people see working for a DAO is a little bit more fun and others see it as a little bit more professional and the website sort of errs on the side of uh, professional, which also makes sense given kind of uh, our customers. And uh... Yeah, I think you summed up nicely there. What I really like about the Index Carp is that if you want a professional like asset management solution compared to perhaps Index Finance or PyDAO that are more community driven, the index co-op is where you're going to go to find it. And so our like our website is going to mirror that approach as well. And I think it does that really nicely. Yeah, picking up on your term edgy, I wasn't suggesting for a minute that you wanted a load of waifus plastered all over our, our monthly updates. But uh, yeah, I was just sort of using that as a, a catapult to talk about that. Um, that came up this week. <laughs> cool. So if we move on, uh, AG, perhaps you wanted to talk us through a little bit on our budget request for the Metaverse Index that we put out on the forum this week. Yeah, yeah. So we've uh, yeah, we've put, for, put forward budget request for the next uh, three months or so uh, to kind of grow the Metaverse Index and sort of push it forward. I don't want to kind of go into the liquidity mining incentives uh, conversation. I think at the moment, like we're providing uh, fairly low uh, incentives for the Metaverse Index. So we basically thought that, okay, like we need to come up with other ways to sort of market and grow MVI. And uh, one of the first things that we thought about, right, and, and we've talked about for for months now is that we see the customer for MVI as uh, somewhat different than the customer for DPI. I think, um, I think like in terms of uh, liquidity mining, the the yields that we are providing are just not attractive enough for for DeFi users, right? So people who are familiar with DeFi, they're looking at pretty high yields to. Uh, to buy things, to hold things, to provide liquidity, and and we just not, um, we just not providing those yields. So we started looking at the uh, gamers, right? Like uh, people who play NFT games, um, some of the uh, communities of the underlying projects in the MVI, like Axie Infinity, uh, Sandbox, and and uh, Decentral Games, and so on, and. Uh, yeah, thinking about how can we how can we position MVI for this group of people because 
if we think that play to earn is going to become uh, a, a sort of a dominant narrative, a dominant theme in NFT gaming, then it's reasonable to expect that a lot of these gamers will will have funds um, from from the games. A lot of them come from sort of emerging countries. Uh, maybe they're not familiar with investing. Maybe they don't don't know much about the kind of the Ethereum ecosystem outside of their game, and uh, it's kind of a great opportunity for us to provide education, right? Um, and and also kind of talk about diversification benefits, talk about passive investing, talk about like thematic investing and and so on so yeah we we put forward kind of the proposal uh with uh five five initiatives um the first one is the yield guild proposal and uh i'm actually gonna hand it over to you for this one um i know you're quite excited about it and uh i think most people we talk to are, are excited about it so why don't you kind of tell us what uh what the Yield Guild uh, proposal is. Yeah, okay. I'll try and uh, keep it simple because this kind of stuff is not your your average uh, budget proposal, I guess. Um, yeah, for I think for both of us, we've seen that the power of um, play to earn, like you mentioned, is probably the most exciting like, outcome or opportunity of, of this space at the moment. So what Yield Guild are doing is trying to onboard new users to certain um, crypto blockchain games and basically upskilling them so that they can you know go away and, and start earning through playing these games and what they get from that is they, they take a small cut so they bring these people on as what they call scholars anyone can apply to be a scholar and I don't know if you've seen recently but I'm starting to see uh, actual CVs like people are putting together professional looking CVs to apply for the scholarship program which is immense like that started to pop up on my Twitter feed now. So, yeah, people are generally from, like, um, poorer countries. We, we see a lot of players from the Philippines and, and South America are starting to, uh, you know, try and get on board with this stuff. And so if they're taken on board as a scholar, uh, let's take Axie Infinity as the example because we know that inside out. They basically they start playing Axie, which they can do with a mobile phone and an internet connection. That's all they need. And um, they start earning the Smooth Love Potion as they progress through the game. And then the Smooth Love Potion itself can be taken onto Binance and swapped for other cryptocurrency, which then becomes easier to like take off of that exchange. And, and or, or even, I don't know if you can go directly from Binance. Um, it wasn't really clarified how people actually like, get it back into their bank, but they can turn it into real-world money effectively. So they can earn a living uh, from playing this game. So what we're looking to do here is you and I, uh, well, actually, you more than I are, are, are quite an expert Axie player by this point, I think. Um, but we're not that good that we could teach other people how to play it well yet. So we're working with a um, community member at Yield Guild. He'll manage the scholars, and he'll help them upskill themselves, learn how to play it, learn how to generate the, the SLP token uh, as they play, and then... What we're doing is stumping up the capital up front to buy the axie the axes in the first place, and then they're going to breed from them to create a number of different, like an army of axes, effectively, 
uh, and that allows us to onboard about 24 scholars in the initial like first few weeks um, and you know once we've kicked off that farming activity with the axes we've got potential to expand that uh, even further as we go so basically as the index co-op like I say we provide the, the capital um, and we're going to put some education around that and try and help these people understand what else they can do with their their crypto once they get hold of it and try and help them understand investing, DeFi, whatever it might be. Uh, and then Yield Guild are obviously going to provide the expertise um, and like the framework for onboarding these people. So the index carp itself will hold axes effectively on our balance sheet. We'll be earning a cut of that yield. So we'll start to see smooth love potions coming back to us somewhere in the region of hopefully between sort of $500 and $1,500 a month. Depends on the, the price of the SLP token itself. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll try and you know grow that partnership, put some um, content out around it, and see how it goes from there. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting, right? Because as you said, we'll be holding axes on the balance sheet and generating passive uh, income stream from it, while creating these opportunities for people to uh, generate uh, real life income in emerging countries around the world. So. Um, yeah, it's really powerful, and I think there is certainly opportunity to kind of scale it um, going forward. Um, but yeah, it's just on on multiple levels. I think it's uh, it's quite exciting, and I look forward to kind of more DAOs doing it. Right, because if you think about like treasure diversification, this works pretty well um, as as a treasury diversification option. Because I think. Axes themselves, um, decent axes will retain uh, most of their out value, plus you breeding them, plus you generating passive income. So, yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting one. I think uh, maybe we can we can pitch it to some other Dow Treasuries as part of their diversification plan. Yeah, another another item uh, we proposed was sponsoring a couple of uh, content creators in the sort of NFT gaming Axie play to earn uh, community who put out quite a lot of educational content and uh, we'd sort of be partnering with them to, um, like, like we said, help educate a lot of the gamers on the investing aspect, passive investing, uh, index funds and so on. And then a couple of other kind of initiatives that, that we put forward that we want to experiment with um, primarily around like direct incentivization of supply growth and uh, things things like that. I think it kind of goes back to this conversation that we've been having on and off for uh, for the last several weeks around liquidity and like is liquidity really a moat and is it necessary and, and you and I can kind of been talking about the fact that liquidity is just like it's a tool, it's not really the end goal, right? Like uh, the end goal is to grow unit supply and uh, perhaps incentivizing unit supply directly is a better way uh, to grow revenues than incentivizing liquidity provisioning and hoping that that will end up growing the supply base as well. So. That's that's uh, kind of some of those initiatives, and uh, yeah, also the the metaverse concert. Maybe you want to tell us about that one. Yeah, you've given it a good summary so far, but uh, I think this kind of illustrates the the two ends of the spectrum. So 
with the direct incentives that you talk about, that's something more straightforward, um, something you know that, that we can apply quite easily. There's probably like a bit of a playbook around it, whereas the, the virtual music festival is some is probably the least scoped out of all of the um, initiatives that we've put forward. But that means it has the most white space. So we're working with Static and CAF uh, again from the the Free and Mad Collective. Um, they were actually onboarded to the co-op through the MVI logo competition. Uh, I reached out to them afterwards and asked if they were interested in doing any more work for us. And, and I'm glad I did because they're super, super professional um, and really shit hot when it comes to design. So yeah, they were basically mentioned to us the, the idea of like buying some land in a virtual world and, and holding a music festival. And that was just, you know, in our general chit chat. And then when you and I were putting this budget together, I was like, well, why don't we just fund what they're doing you know, we can slap MBI or Index Co-op's name on it and, uh, you know, do some interesting things with it, maybe have an educational area, maybe have a VIP area for MBI token holders, and we can start to do all this cool stuff with it. Um, so, yeah, we, we put that to them. They were obviously very receptive to it uh, straight away, as they tend to do. They've kicked off, like, this awesome document that looks amazing, uh, really slick. Uh, and they're in conversation with... Um, people across like the crypto voxels and sandbox community at the moment to try and figure out where it would be best to actually host this thing. So I'm pretty excited about it. I have no idea what it's going to end up looking like. Um, I'm just keen to, to see what we can do and, and try and push the envelope a little bit with this one. How about you? What are you thinking on this one? Yeah, I think we are really kind of the, the support on, on this one. I think CAF and Static are really driving this forward and uh, we sort of just going to be there to help out in any way we can. Um, and uh, yeah, um, with kind of funding uh, too. And uh, I think the idea is to have like the VAP area for MVI holders within the festival. Um, <laughs> we haven't even sort of figured out what some of those VAP experiences um, are going to be. But... I'd say meeting uh, meeting the MVI methodologists. That's got to be like a a high ticket item. I think. Are you going to be rocking your sushi sneakers or something? No. <laughs> My virtual sushi sneakers. Yeah. Your virtual sushi sneakers and uh, Dylan Francis. Um, yeah, that's it. Oh, that 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 one is in Decentraland, right? So, it's not it's not portable to CryptoVox also or Sandbox if we end up hosting it there. Yeah, that's okay. It only cost me $60 in gas to, to mint that, so don't rub it in. <laughs> Composability, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see see what we can do with that one. Um, I'm sure people will be queuing around the block to, to meet you virtually, AG, and, and get some of your wisdom, some of your alpha, maybe. Um, I, I never actually figured out what your music taste is. You've never shared, so I don't know if there's any artists that you'd like to see in the lineup, maybe. No, I'd like to. I'd like to keep it under wraps. Okay, I'm gonna guess it's something like Phil Collins, Genesis, like late '80s rock. I do not know <laughs> who those people are. Okay, never mind then. Okay, so I think that probably wraps it up for the um, budget request. I think we'll keep it moving along and talk about uh, another product entirely that was proposed this week by our contributors uh, Thomas Hepner and Kiva so they put forward the idea of a data economy index 
and requested some discussion, which they definitely got. Uh, the community jumped straight on it. I know Thomas is very good at rounding people up to to like give their feedback on stuff. So he's he's managed to get over like twenty five comments on um, on the proposal. I didn't have too much to say on this. I think it's like behind a DeFi index, a metaverse index. This seems to be what comes next. Like in terms of thematic indexes, it, it makes total sense to be uh, part of the index corps lineup. Um, I know there's a few sort of common common threads in all of the responses. Ag, you had quite a bit to say on it, so I'm interested to to hear where you've kind of ended up with it all. To be honest, uh, yeah. So I think I think the idea itself is is really good. Um, I think like the the proposal, the proposed portfolio composition only had uh, four tokens, which I, I think is uh, is quite low for uh, for an index. Um, I I certainly like unless it's a sort of meta index like bad. I I wouldn't want to invest in a product with four tokens and I wouldn't want us to launch one with, with four tokens. So, um, that, that was, I think that's one, uh, one weakness. And, uh, I, I think part of it is due to the criteria that the guys, uh, sort of set out. They, they've used some interesting kind of, um, yeah, interesting I guess formula to determine the weights uh, using kind of the economic activity uh, component as well as liquidity. It just to me like yeah the methodology was a little bit overcomplicated, um, and I kind of understand their reasoning, but um, it didn't it didn't make uh, too much sense to me. So I was just wondering if there's a way to sort of expand that expand the scope of the index. Uh, a little bit so that it can include a few more tokens. I think the whole idea of like the data uh, or middleware or uh, Web 3.0 type of index, I think is a no brainer. And uh, I definitely think that we should be coming out with something like this. Um, I, I do think that this particular proposal, um, the methodology needs uh, a little bit more work. I don't think it's quite, it's quite right, um, the way it's uh, currently set up. So yeah, I'm excited for the idea. I'm excited for the index, but I, I think there needs to be a little bit more work on the execution of it. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it tends to, from what I can see, that tends to sum up most people's comments on this as well. So um, I'm sure those guys will be on it pretty quickly to uh, sort of summarize all of this and, and put forward their next steps on how they're going to move it forwards. Um, yeah, like I say, not, for me, not really much to say on it. I just, I want to see them sort of go back to the drawing board a little bit, see if they can widen the scope, maybe get some more inclusions. Uh, but either way, at, at some point in the next few months, we're going to need to have something in this area. Um, and I would certainly trust these two to, to make something work. Okay, that about wraps it up for the uh, newsletter as a whole. Did you have anything else you wanted to cover this week, KG? No, I think I think there's there's a lot going on. I think we've we've covered a lot of ground, and uh, really wouldn't want to take 
too much time from our listeners. I, I think one thing that's really quite interesting to me is is the market overall. I think it's it's really quite unclear to me like where are we going uh, in terms of price action. I think it's really hard to like yeah to to understand the environment and especially I think Bitcoin has been behaving it, it like really strange over the last three or four months. So I, I'd be I'd be keen to kind of hear your thoughts on it. I think like with ETH, it's hard to like be bearish with EAP fifteen fifty nine scaling and the merge coming up in the next year. Like there's just too much, too much good stuff, too 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 many kind of fundamental uh, factors that are all going up and to the right. But I'm wondering if sort of there are deeper structural issues with with Bitcoin, um, and if that's going to sort of spill over into ETH and, and DeFi. Yeah, I think the narrative that's starting to perpetuate around ETH and Ethereum being a totally diff- different proposition to Bitcoin is like that's where the story is going to be for the next eighteen months, up to two years, probably. Uh, if you look at CryptoFees.info, we're starting to see a number of apps on Ethereum like flipping Bitcoin in, in daily fees. I, I just don't see how Bitcoin can maintain its dominance for much longer. I'd kind of put a one to two more halvening cycles timeline on it, which is you know two to six years. But I don't know. It might even happen sooner than that. We might see something because you, you just can't stop Ethereum, right? It, it's just going to keep plowing along, people are innovating on top of it, all of the scaling solutions that are coming along, EIP-1515, all of this stuff is, is happening. So actually, what's driven the crypto markets for the last 12 years, aka Bitcoin and its halvings, is no longer relevant because that's you know, that's just one story which becomes absolutely diminished compared to all of the stuff that's taking place on Ethereum. So I, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, that's what I'm looking at. I realize there's going to be a load of volatility around all of this because it's going to be a monumental narrative shift for crypto as a whole when Bitcoin isn't the most important thing. I'm talking as if it's definitely going to happen. Like I'm absolutely convicted that it will. I have complete conviction in it. I've put my money where my mouth is. And just seeing, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'm in a filter bubble on Twitter um, and I follow too many Ethereum maxes, but... Yeah, I, I just being at the cold face, working for a decentralized organization, seeing how Ethereum works, understanding how it's going to change in the next 12 months. I just don't see how it can't become a dominant crypto asset. So for me, that's how I'm trying to position myself. Like I say, there's, there is going to be volatility around this as you start to dethrone something that's, you know, so many people, investors and institutions started turning up and allocating to Bitcoin, all of a sudden they could find out that they're actually wrong. Um, or maybe they're just happy with their pet rock and it sits at 30k for the next five years, I don't know. But uh, either way, Ethereum's going to do its own thing and that's where that I think Ethereum will start driving crypto asset prices rather than Bitcoin at some point in the midterm. I hope that's not too controversial. I think it is actually. I think it's uh, it's out there in the ETH 
maximalist area. Like not not like all the way there, but sort of partially halfway there. Um, I yeah, like I would agree with you. I think it's just it's like it's like a paradigm shift, right? Like it, you need to rewire your brain to think differently. And I think that's scary to a lot of people. And it also, and that's something that brings uncertainty and, and brings uh, volatility on top of sort of uh, the macro stuff that we get on the regulatory side or inflation, monetary policy, and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, it, uh, it doesn't make me kind of less bullish on Ethereum, but it does make me more uh, cautious and cognizant that we're going to see a bit of volatility um, over the kind of short to medium term while this, uh, I guess you can call it the, the flippening thesis kind of plays out. Um, it's going to be good for ETH2XY either way. Um, so and BTC to XY, I think we're going to be well lined up to uh, take advantage of that as index go up. So we do need a long short one, I think. Mm -hmm. Right, I think a lot of people would want to play the long ETH short BTC trade. Yeah, I don't know. I was I was really cautious about um, ETH to XY, and I've just started like going into it. I've actually literally just sold my. Uh, position back to ETH because I made a bit of money on it and now it looks like ETH is going to drop back down a little bit. But um, I'm not sure how I would feel about that because Bitcoin can still technically win or at least can people can like close their minds to the fact that it's lost for, a, for long enough that it, the price will stay up. Um, so yeah, I don't know how confident I'd be like trading the ETH BTC ratio. Uh, necessarily but then maybe I'll change my mind in a couple of months on that as well what if that's not on leverage yeah then I need to wrap my head around how exactly it would work <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I just don't like that feels too pessimistic to me I don't want Bitcoin to fail I think it can have a place as a store of value crypto asset to an extent but it's that is going to mean its price isn't going to do the two fifty five hundred one million dollars whatever valuation like crazy. It might, but that's the thing. It doesn't mean that Bitcoin needs to fail. It just means that Ethereum needs to outperform Bitcoin, right? So that the long side of your trade is going to do better than the short side of your trade. Yeah, I think I just prefer to express that going balls deep into ETH and just ignoring Bitcoin. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm sure there are some people out there who uh, would be sort of comfortable with that long short trade, and uh, I do think that we need a product for that. I think, I think there'll be some interest. Um, that said, I, I've been quite surprised with um, the fact that the uh, BTC to X fly. Um, I would say it's it hasn't performed. Or it hasn't attracted as much attention and volume as the East to X fly, right? And I don't know if it's just because most people who are in the Ethereum ecosystem they want to 
like they want exposure to Ethereum, not not Bitcoin, and there's just less interest. And uh, we kind of saw that I think with Badger, where um, there was a lot of interest initially, and their goal is to bring Bitcoin to Ethereum, but we've seen some of that sort of hype uh, die down over the over several over the last uh, several months, and yeah, it makes me wonder if. Bitcoin on Ethereum is actually like a, a killer product, right? It's a good product, but it might just not be kind of the killer product. Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. Maybe, um, and yeah, I don't disagree with you on the, the long short. I think we need that. That's a good product to have. Uh, yeah, I'm already starting to reconsider my position now. Would I want to short Bitcoin? I don't know. It feels like an ego trade. You've confused me now. I don't know how to feel about it. It's all right. I'm sure you'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> cool. So, should we wrap it up there then? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's been almost uh, 50 minutes now and uh, covered a lot of ground. And uh, yeah, should uh, let our listeners go and enjoy their day, evening, um, whatever they're doing. Yeah, we went from waifus to WBTC all in one podcast. That's a pretty good effort. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, AG, for joining me again. And we'll catch you all next week. Great. Thanks, guys.